my guest for today is the incredible conductor, music director laureate of the Omaha Symphony Orchestra, principal conductor of the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra, and family and youth concerts conductor of the Boston Symphony Orchestra, Maestro Thomas Wilkins. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Good to see you. Likewise, you are preparing for Black Panther in concert with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra that's coming up this weekend. Three concerts, two that the public can attend. The Detroit Symphony Orchestra will be performing the live soundtrack as the audience takes in all the action of Black Panther. And before we jump into that, because there's so much that we could just dive into there, I want people to get to know you. What sparked your interest in conducting? Well, you know, I've wanted to be a conductor since I was eight years old, believe it or not. I was a little black boy living at a housing project in Norfolk, Virginia, single mother. And my third grade class got on a bus to go to the arena theater. Interestingly, it was a building that I could see from my bedroom window, but I didn't know what happened in that in that building. We go in there, the orchestra's on the floor, and we're in the bleachers around, and uh, this man comes out and he starts to wave his arms and the orchestra played the Star Spangled Banner. It was the first thing I heard them play. And I'd heard the Star Spangled Banner before, but I'd never heard the voice of an orchestra before. And I mean, I was toast. I looked at all the instruments. I watched what they were doing to make sound. And, but then there was something about that man standing in front of all of those people in the midst of all of that sound. And he was so involved with all of that sound. And I thought, you know what? That looks like fun. <laughs> I didn't know anything about what was happening physically from a conducting standpoint but I knew that it was very compelling. And I walked out of the building that day and said, that's what I wanna be when I grow up. I wanna be a conductor. I say this all the time that it speaks more to the power of music than it does to anything about my own tenacity and learning and dreaming. But this music knew me and it drew me in and that was it, that was it for me. So eight years old, were you playing an instrument at the time? We had these little black, melody flutes that were like recorders but but a lot easier all you had to do was blow it and they had like three holes on the top and three on the bottom or four and four and so that was my that was my music experience other than choir in second grade but i fell in love with that instrument i fell in love with making sounds on that instruments and and, and i i even create alternate fingering so i could get extra notes that weren't supposed to be on the instrument you know and i would play along with commercial jingles and whatever. But then in fourth grade, uh, we got the chance to start a string instrument and it, it had to be violin. So I started on violin in fourth grade, but I was really in love with the cello, the sound of the cello for some strange reason. But I had to wait out the fourth, fourth grade year. And sure enough, fifth grade year comes along and we get to add an instrument if we wanted to. So I switched to cello. So that became my instrument. And I played in the orchestra and I played in band in junior high school uh, because I had taught myself trumpet fingerings over the year so I could go to summer band camp at the end of my seventh grade year. And I was so advanced because I had already learned the fingerings, made everything else come quickly. And so my band teacher had said, you know, I'm kind of short on tuba players. So if you switch to tuba, I'll let you keep one at home. Oh. That was, that was it for me because my mother couldn't afford to buy me an instrument. So the fact that I could have an instrument at home was terrific. So from junior high through high school, I played cello in the orchestra and tuba in the band. 
That is so cool. And of course, there's no weird reason as to why you were attracted to the cello. It's the best instrument. <laughs> it's, it's the soul of the orchestra. I will agree to that. <laughs> it's crazy how close a dream can be and you not even know it. It really caught me that you said the arena that you went to, you could see from your apartment window, but you had no idea what was going on in there. Yeah. Something that is so attainable and so close can sometimes seem so far and it only takes one opportunity to unlock it. I had an eight o'clock meeting this morning with one of our board subcommittees in Boston. We were talking about there are people in that town who don't even know what happens, what goes on in Symphony Hall. Uh, and so we have to be really dogged about creating access to opportunity. And one of those ways is to invite people into the space and to let them know that not only is it in their city, but it's theirs and that they are welcome there. And essentially what happened to me at eight years old, the then Norfolk Symphony Orchestra, which is now the Virginia Symphony Orchestra, opened their doors to young kids and young kids from everywhere, not just specific young kids, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, and in the, in the process, in my case, a life was altered and affirmed all, all in the same day. So, I mean, this is important work that we have to do in the business on an ongoing basis, I think. This conversation leads to my next question, actually. As a conductor, how do you stir the hearts and minds of musicians, board members, the community, audiences to champion for change and access in classical music? The funny thing is that Black people have been writing music since the 18th century, for crying out loud, and probably before that. But the learning curve was so warped because we were operating mostly in a Western European tradition. I didn't know about William Grant Still when I was training as a young musician. I didn't know about Margaret Bonds, tons of composers who were already in the field and in the business and leading the way, but they were ignored. One of the things that we have to be is comfortable enough in our own skin that we can take this repertoire seriously, just as seriously as we take Beethoven and Brahms and Haydn and Mozart and Tchaikovsky. But in that regard, it means that we have to understand that all of this music is greater than we are, and we can't put ourselves and our ego out in front of this music. I'm never trying to be famous. I'm just trying to be a vessel. And when people sense that genuineness and that honesty about music, I say to my orchestra students at Indiana University, my conducting students, you got to realize that the most important person on, in the room is not on stage. They're sitting in the audience. Um, and it's our job to humble ourselves enough to try to match the greatness of what the composers have written, regardless of what the composer looks like, and then present that. Because the composer is trying to demonstrate not how smart they are, but that they are willing to come along beside us as human beings to help us navigate this thing called life. And that's the gift that we want to give. And when you approach it that way, people are unintimidated because they are alive. And they want to experience that sort of human triumph to override their perhaps obstacles or challenges or aspirations or whatever it is. And it's our job to help them to be better when they leave the building than when they came in. Let's jump back to the stage and the concert that we have coming up here in Detroit, Black Panther in concert. So excited about this concert and hoping that many other people come out to the concert either on June 23rd or June 25th. Black Panther was the first Marvel Studio film 
with an African-American conductor. African-Americans were able to embrace a hero who looked like them. And it gave other cultures uh, the opportunity to see a new face as a hero. How do you think that Black Panther impacted people? Just like anything else, when someone sees someone who looks like them in that kind of position, it only affirms for that person that that thing, that position is possible. And of course, we're talking about a fictional character in the case of Black Panther. Nevertheless, we see a fictional character leading the charge of good over evil, of right over not right. But that alone is a great inspiration. And it may be subconscious. You're not going to sit there the entire time you're watching the film and think to yourself, oh my gosh, he won that battle. Oh my gosh, he he made that speech and he's Black. But it's going to resonate with your spirit. For me, you know, I, I got to do the world premiere of this Black Panther in concert at the Hollywood Bowl. We've got a very close relationship between the Hollywood Bowl and Disney, of course, which makes a lot of sense, but they really wanted me to conduct it. For one thing, I have a title position at the Hollywood Bowl, and another thing, because it's me, because of what I look like. They thought, the portrait of this is too rich to ignore. So we did the world premiere at the Hollywood Bowl, 18,000 people each night. And the remarkable thing was that everybody in the audience was on board with what was happening on stage and what was happening on film, regardless of what they looked like. And so everybody wanted to see this Black hero succeed, and everybody wanted to be a part of that drama and part of that story. Um, So the impact was not only on people in the audience who looked like me, but it was on people in the audience who just believed in possibility and who believed in the necessity of triumph over evil or victory over challenge, whatever it is. Uh, Everybody was on board with that. You've had some uh, plenty of experience with this, at least two years of experience with conducting Black Panther in concert. How on earth do you prepare for this type of concert? You're playing to the actual film. Well, fortunately, the technology has changed tremendously. And so there is a rehearsal video that the conductor gets. And in that video is the same information that you would have if you were recording the sound for that film as a film on a soundstage in a studio, there are cues that you have on your video screen that the audience doesn't see. One of them is called a streamer. And it's a line that goes across the video at a certain time. And when that line gets from here to there, you are at a certain place in the score. Often streamers are done by phrases, but there are also things that we call punches that are white dots that pop out in time to tell you that you're on the right beat, in the right place. And so in my score, I have to put in, or someone does for me, where those streamers are. And the other thing is there's a click track that keeps track of the tempo. And that's really important because the music is timed to the action in the film. And so sometimes the composer who's writing music for the film can go at one tempo, but because the scene isn't ready for the next bar, he or she either has to add extra beats, so you've been going along in 4-4 time, but all of a sudden there's a 5-4 measure there. And the reason that that extra beat is there is because you need the time to get to that video cue. Or sometimes 
one measure has to be at one tempo and another measure has to be twice as fast in order to meet up with the visual cue. And so you have a click track going on in your ear that's telling you how fast you should be going. So primarily, after you learn the music itself, now you have to start to put together all of those moving pieces so that you're comfortable with everything visually and sonically that's going on in your head so you can still do your job of conducting. And so, for example, there are times when I'm conducting and I'm listening to the click track and I'm conducting the orchestra, but I see that the composer has written a ritardando, a slowing down for just one measure. So at that moment, I know that what I have to do is look up at the screen because I want to wait for that streamer to tell me, okay, now is the new measure. And so that's a, that's a great technology. The only thing that's, for me, that's different is that it's really time consuming. And I spent a lot of hours preparing uh, this Black Panther film. I had done other film work in LA before, but this was the largest scale work that I had done. And I used to not want to do it because I, I used the excuse that you're a slave to the click track. And so if you wanted to be spontaneous, you can't be spontaneous. I figured out that that wasn't so much a reason to not want to do it, but it was a reason that was hiding my fear of it. And I say that because you are afraid that you're going to do something that's going to ruin the whole thing for everybody. And this is a larger life lesson. For me, it meant that I had come to the conclusion that it was all about me, in spite of the fact that there's technology there and there's 80 other people on stage who are equally invested in making sure things go well. We make mistakes all the time in music. Uh, but the minute that you become overly concerned with making a mistake, now you're no longer thinking about the music. You're thinking about yourself. And you're also not thinking about the audience. You're thinking about yourself. And so one of the reasons that I agreed to do this Black Panther a few years ago is because I thought, I'm not going to be that guy who only wants to do comfortable stuff. I want to do stuff that's challenging, that requires extra, extra work on my part, that requires a lion chaser's mentality, not a chased lion mentality. And so I'm really glad that I did it because it was such a heavy lift that now almost all of the film work that I do after this is easy or easy. <laughs> and if you, you can't see him because this is radio, he put up the air quotes of easy because at least he, he's gotten through this process undertaking Black Panther in concert. If you're just now joining me, my guest is Maestro Thomas Wilkins, and he's going to be here in Detroit conducting Black Panther in concert on June 23rd, June 25th, as well as a private concert on the 24th. Thomas, what are you looking forward to most in this upcoming concert with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra? I think from a performance standpoint, I'm looking forward to the enthusiasm in the audience. It's probably safe to say that most people who will be in the audience have already seen the film. And this gives them a chance to see the film again, but there's this added visual element. Here's the thing about film music. It's not supposed to get in the way of the film. It's supposed to enhance our feeling about what we are watching. And so that's successful film writing, film scoring. In this instant, people get to add at their choice the element of watching the music being created because they probably know the, the visual really well. And now they want to see, 
holy cow, this is how many people are playing when this is happening, or this is who's playing when this is happening. Because they may not have actually taken note of that when they were watching the film because they were so involved in the drama. So it's just bonus uh, for people. And I'm excited about that. But the other thing I'm excited about is I love Detroit. Detroit gets in your blood. And I said uh, somewhere else that we didn't have this model when I lived in Detroit, but I was the last time I was there, I was walking around and I saw t-shirts that said, Detroit hustles harder. And I thought, yes, that's Detroit. And that's the Detroit that gets in your blood. It's a people that doesn't quit. It's a people that never loses hope. It's a people that have faced all kinds of um, adversity. And nevertheless, they put their head down and they move forward. And so I always look forward to coming back to the city, uh, even just for the eating. <laughs> well, there's always good stuff to eat here in Detroit. And you're right, right? Detroit hustles harder. We hustle the hardest. <laughs> and we look forward to having you uh, back in Detroit. You're not a guest. This is home for you right, exactly. as well. My last question for you, what do you hope the audience takes away from this concert? A couple things. One is that thrill of having actually having been there. You know, I love to say that one of the things that we hope that people will say when they leave a performance is, man, I'm really glad I didn't miss this. So that's the first thing. But the other thing is a recognition that the Detroit Symphony Orchestra is their orchestra. And yes, we can play Tchaikovsky and Mozart and Brahms and Haydn, but we can turn on a dime and play Black Panther film music. We can turn on a dime and play Duke Ellington. We can turn on a dime and play all kinds of stuff. And so in the process, no one gets left behind and everyone gets fed. I guess maestro Thomas Wilkins, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to speak with me. And I am looking forward to Black Panther in concert. Looking forward to seeing you there. <laughs>